1: of scary stories. They fascinate and thrill us. And there's nothing wrong to love them either. Humans have a long tradition of exploring their fears and hopes through dark and macabre tales, whether it's by the flickering light of the campfire or the steady glow of the computer screen. And we actually want to find ourselves lost in the world of the morbid, the monstrous, and the supernatural at times. Indeed, that's what this very podcast, Frightful, is all about. And when we hear a scary story, we might share it again and again. And in the sharing, it can start to feel like just a story, a vessel of entertainment and nothing more. Tales of haunted houses, for example, can become little more than a vehicle for an excited shiver or maybe even a few laughs. Again, this is okay. But it's right to sometimes slow down for a moment and remember that these true tales are not fiction. They involve real people with real pain. And tonight we will explore a case of paranormal activity that we might be tempted to slot into the spooky tale file along with all the others we hear. But this poltergeist case involves a real 11-year-old girl called Maria who found herself in the midst of activity that might seem exciting on the movie screen. But when it is your reality, it can prove to be devastating. It did for her, because by the end of it, Maria was dead. I'm Peter Laws, and tonight on Frightful, we look into the tragic case of Maria Ferreira and the killer poltergeist. There is a town called Jabu which sits in the state of São Paulo in Brazil. The town is named after the jabuticaba tree, which grows a dark purple berry. And these berries are a little odd, to be honest. They don't grow on leafy branches like other trees. Instead, these berries swarm the trunk itself, which when you see it looks weird and alien. And the berries ferment just three or four days after being picked, which makes it largely pointless to export them anywhere else. So unless you live in Brazil, you've probably never tasted them. These mysterious, rare, yet beautiful berries, they live for a while. But sadly, they die. Too early, and too young. In 1965, the Ferreira family lived in Jabu Kabul. They were a respectable Catholic family who were simply going about the normal business of work and school, friendships, and church. Who knows? Maybe they, like us, enjoyed reading spooky stories of legends and ghosts and hauntings. Because at that point in their lives, those things were distant and fictional. They didn't actually live with one. And in that family was Maria Jose Ferreira, who, like any girl of her age, enjoyed playing. Particularly with her imaginary friends who she still played with, even though she was 11 years old. But sometimes... The spooky stories that seem to live on television or in books and films can slip into our reality. And when they do, lives can never be the same again. And that's what happened to this family. Now, poltergeist cases normally start in a fairly subtle way, perhaps a dull knocking sound or strange drops in temperature in certain rooms. But this case began quite dramatically, with bricks The Ferreira family had a pile of bricks in the backyard that were left over from some construction work. Nothing odd about that. But one day, the family heard the sound of bricks falling to the ground, but not outside. This sound was coming from inside the house. They followed the sound to one of the rooms and were utterly confused. Lying there on the floor were some of the bricks from the backyard. At first, they assumed this was some sort of prank, A neighbor or a local kid, perhaps, stealing the bricks from the backyard and somehow throwing them into the house through an open window or a back door. But this theory soon became impossible because the bricks kept falling. In fact, the family would see them dropping through the air and landing on the floor. Now, how would you react if something so inexplicable happened in your house to your family? Well, the Ferreras had to put up with this frightening activity for several days, and they were so disturbed by it that they contacted their local priest. He came out to the house to perform an exorcism. But unlike the movies and the stories, rather than improving things, this exorcism seemed to make the activity worse. Desperate, the family turned to a neighbor for help. His name was Yao Volpi, and Volpi's day job was a dentist, but his passion his calling, if you will, was spiritism. This was a branch of spiritualism, which believes that all physical bodies are just vessels to carry immortal souls or spirits. Spiritism teaches that at death, these spirits incarnate into new bodies over and over again, learning as they go. So they'd say that the essence of who you are right now is not your body as such, but the spirit within it, which will step inside a new body when you die. But spiritists also teach that there are disembodied spirits that roam the world without a bodily home. These spirits can seek to bring blessing and positivity to the world, but some of them invisibly stalk the planet with malevolent and destructive intent. So Volpe was very open to the supernatural possibilities when he set foot into the Ferreira house that day. But if the family up to this point had assumed that this was a general spiritual attack, they were disturbed at what Volpe revealed to them. After observing the activity and hearing more about what had happened, he identified what he believed was the source of this unwanted presence. It was Maria herself, he said. He claimed that she was quite clearly a natural medium, one who, remember, had many invisible playmates. Volpe believed that these imaginary friends were not so imaginary after all. He said she was communicating and encouraging the presence of disembodied spirits. The question was, were these spirits good and benign, or destructive and malicious? So the dentist-cum-spiritist took Maria to his own home to try and help her. Perhaps getting her out of that house might make a difference, and it did for a few days. All was quiet. But then Volpi and Maria were shocked and, potentially saddened, to see small stones appear in Volpi’s home too. It happened whenever Maria was close by. Wanting to keep a record, he counted the stones and even weighed them too. There were 312 in total, weighing in at just over eight pounds. At one point, a larger stone descended from the ceiling and split into two pieces, shooting off in different directions. But when somebody picked up the two pieces, they seemed to snap back together like they were magnetized to each other. It wasn't just stones either. Food, like eggs, started to move on their own and sometimes would disappear and reappear in odd places. The presence of the house even started to bring gifts to Maria in response to her requests. For example, she asked for candy or flowers or even a brooch that she liked and it would appear, dropping through the air and landing at her feet. And so far, the family might have thought they were dealing with a friendly, benign spirit. But they were wrong. Because soon after, the presence started to attack Maria. She would feel invisible hands slapping her face and also her bottom, leaving visible marks. And this invisible visitor would even bite her at times. Can you just imagine that for a moment? Just look down at your own arm. How would you react if you felt an invisible set of teeth sinking into your flesh and leaving a mark? Heavy furniture would even be thrown in Maria's direction, including a gas cylinder and a sofa. Now make no mistake, this was an incredibly dangerous situation for her to be in. But the attacks kept coming. And there's a particularly disturbing development in the assault she experienced. For a while... When Maria Jose would try to sleep, cups and glasses would appear, pressed over her mouth. To everybody's horror, it seemed like the entity was trying to suffocate her in her sleep. Some sources even suggest that Maria was abused sexually by these invisible companions, though I wasn't able to confirm that bit of information through the various reports. But it just kept on going. Forty days into this activity, Maria would suddenly yelp in pain. And when she examined her foot, she would find needles pressed into the flesh of her left heel. And they would be pushed in deep. On one occasion, the family recorded how many needles they had to pull out of the little girl's heel. Fifty-five. These entities even seemed to resent anybody trying to help Maria. For example, after the needles incident... She would try to let the parents apply a bandage to her FUD, only to see invisible and seemingly malicious hands tugging and tearing the bandage away. It was almost like she was being bullied by this entity. And then in March 1966, the threat to Maria went even further. She was eating her lunch at school when she felt a sense of heat on her body. And suddenly she smelled smoke. When she looked down, she could see that her clothes were smouldering, as if they had just been set on fire. Spontaneous fires are a known feature of poltergeist activity, where perhaps bits of wallpaper are found scorched by unseen presences. But to see your own clothes suddenly sparking into flame must be terrifying, and it would set you on constant edge. Thankfully, the fire was put out, but that same day, Volpi's bedroom burst into flames and he was injured with a serious burn when he attempted to grab a pillow from the room because he could see a sort of fire inside it. Volpi realized that this was beyond his capabilities so fearing for Maria, he took her to see one of the most revered psychics in Brazil. Chico Xavier was famous in the country for, among other things, contacting the dead. For example, Xavier's own mother died when he was five years old, and yet as a boy, he claimed to keep talking to her spirit for many years. At school, Xavier told teachers that during his exams, a mysterious man would come to him and dictate the essays he had to write, and yet the teachers insisted that no man was present by his side. Xavier's father was deeply concerned by this, and he decided to hospitalize the boy. Until a priest convinced him that this was just a childhood fantasy, imaginary friends again, perhaps, like in Maria's case. As Xavier grew into adulthood, he made a successful career from his mediumship, and he even gained literary success by writing novels that he claimed were dictated by dead authors, literal ghostwriters. He eventually founded a center for spiritism and is still venerated in Brazil today. And yet, his input into the case of Maria was, some could argue, dangerous or even devastating. Volpi took Maria to the famous medium, saying that this little girl was clearly gifted and surrounded by the dead in her house. Who knows, perhaps Maria might be another Chico Xavier in the making. But Xavier considered the attacks and then channeled a spirit to explain it all. And the medium spoke the words of a spirit which shared devastating information. It's said that Maria... Had been a witch in a previous life. And it said that a lot of people had suffered at the hands of this witch. And so now these long dead victims were seeking revenge upon the spirit of this sorceress who lived inside the body of this child. With this new knowledge in hand, the dentist Volpi took her home and offered a regimen of prayer to help bring this activity to a close. And Volpe would gather other followers of spiritism to sit her in a circle with her in the center while they tried to ask God to free this child from her unseen attackers. They would even use a controversial technique involving magnetism and hand passes in an attempt to heal Maria of her troubles. And to be fair, the poltergeist phenomenon did seem to decrease after this. But it didn't stop. Objects like fruit and vegetables were still thrown around the room. And what's more, the echoes of what Xavier had said must have resonated with Maria. To be an 11-year-old girl and to be told that the essence of who you are is actually an evil witch from the past, who is now being punished for her crimes by her victims, back from the dead and somehow coming to torment you? Well, how would you take that? Even as an adult, that's a terrifying prognosis to be given. But as a child? It's sobering and chilling to think that Maria is just one of many children who have been accused of either being a witch or being possessed by a witch. The psychological effect of this claim cannot be overestimated, and we see truly tragic evidence of that with Maria. The bizarre paranormal activity carried on for two years, and she was under the care of Volpe during that time. And this whole experience would have been a strain on anybody. To find that the normal life of your family is so massively disrupted because of a supernatural attack is disturbing in itself. But to think that you are the source and cause of it all, well, that would be too much to take for some. Perhaps that's what happened with Maria. After two years of this nightmare, with Volpi trying to help, Maria eventually moved back to live with her mother. She was 13 by then. And it's not exactly clear when it happened, but not long after, Maria Jose Ferreira was found dead from an apparent suicide. She had taken a soft drink and into it had poured some ant killer and drunk it. Not long after, this young girl with her life ahead of her was dead. So, what exactly happened? When you read some of the reports of this online, you'll see plenty of claims that this was no suicide, that Maria didn't kill herself, but she was finally murdered by her centuries-old victims, who had somehow reached through the ages with their anger, and after tormenting and bullying her for years with this haunting, they finally got their revenge on the witch. Did they pour the poison into her drink without her knowing? Or was it suicide? Perhaps she did that because she thought this was the only way to stop the supernatural violence. Did she sacrifice herself for the sake of her family? Or perhaps this reason is the most likely one. That this may have more to do with the way she was labelled and treated. That she was the epicentre of this poltergeist. Or perhaps we should say that Volpe said she was the epicentre of the poltergeist and that Xavier had confirmed it by labelling her a witch. Thinking that she was the source of supernatural violence may have been too great to bear. That's one of the aspects of haunting cases that is so easy to forget. Guilt. The fear that, for some people in the family, they don't feel like the victim of the paranormal activity, but rather the cause of it. Of course, we can only speculate about what led to her death. But what we do know is that Chico Xavier lived long after Maria did. And in 1981, Xavier was even nominated to win the Nobel Peace Prize after two million people signed a submission. He didn't receive it. In 2006, however, he was elected as history's greatest Brazilian by Yopoca magazine. I wonder if, over the years, Xavier ever thought back to the little girl who came to him for help and was told she was a witch in a past life. Did Xavier think the spirit who spoke through him was simply telling it like it was? Perhaps. Did he ever wonder if that spirit was lying? That can happen sometimes. Or did he ever wonder, in the shivery moments of the night, that there may have been no spirit speaking, and that he had simply got it wrong? We just don't know. And I wonder if he placed any significance in the fact that she was called Maria just as his own mother was called Maria, one of the earliest spirits to ever speak to him, an invisible companion like she said she had. We just don't know. It's said, however, that Xavier told his friends and relatives that as he grew older, he had made a request of God to let him die on the day when Brazil would be celebrating and when all of the people were happy. And sure enough, he died on the 20th of June, 2002, the very day when Brazil won the FIFA Soccer World Cup against Germany. The Djibouti Cabal case is often filed amongst all the other tales of hauntings. Just another poltergeist story to add to the rest. But perhaps we should let this one actually haunt us for a while. Because in it, a healthy young girl just into her teens found herself not in a fun, scary story, not in a case that she could laugh about and share with others for a campfire thrill, but rather, her frightful tale was a truly terrible personal experience that could not be dismissed or hidden or forgotten or even lived with so that the only way to finally silence this haunting was for a truly haunted young girl to die. And so, we leave Jabuticaba in Brazil, where the Jabuticaba berries are not the only things that are rare, beautiful, mysterious, and sadly, gone too soon.